0: From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Thursday, June 24th. As we reported yesterday, things are wrapping up for the Great Basin team on the Pack Creek Fire. With 73% of the fire contained, the team will hand leadership back to the Mante Salle National Forest tomorrow. In our final update with Fire Information Officer Nick Howell, we get the latest on what resources will remain and what crews will likely focus on in the coming days. So what resources will be left? for the Mante La Salle National Forest? What crews, you know, helicopters, engines, that sort of thing will still be working this fire?
1: Yeah, so when we go to transition, we're definitely gonna leave resources with the local unit to kind of wrap things up and finish all of the fire line construction that still needs to be done. So when when we leave, starting tomorrow morning, there will be three hand crews, um, three helicopters, and two engines, and they will remain. You know, until the work that they need to do is completed.
0: And, and what is that work um, at the moment? What will they be working on um, in the next coming days?
1: Yeah, so there's, there's still a little bit of fire line that needs to be secured. Um, right now, they're focusing on extinguishing some of those remaining hot spots that are closer to the fire line next to the fire perimeter. And also, um, there we still do have a certain amount of fire line that is not constructed just because it's in. Some of those hard to reach and inaccessible areas so you know they will be monitoring those those small areas that are still open pieces of fire line um one of those areas is around Haystack mountain so you know some of that steeper more rugged terrain those portions of the fire are going to be monitored until they get to a point where we can deal with them appropriately and safely
0: and how did this cloud cover and potential moisture you know help the fire potentially uh yesterday and Does it look good for the coming days?
1: Yeah, so on a positive note, um, yesterday and today is like the only days we've had during the fire where we've actually (laughs) had some relative humidity recovery, and we haven't had those really severe weather watches in place. So yeah, the humidity recoveries, um, especially last night, got up to like 70% on the fire, which is fantastic. Um, That's definitely going to minimize the fire behavior today. And it's, it's going to keep that fire pretty much where it's at. We're expecting over the next couple of days just because of those weather conditions. So that's going to allow us to get in to some of these other areas that you know, have been a safety concern where the fire has been really active. It's definitely going to help.
0: Yeah, what are some of those areas, and forgive me if you've already mentioned those, that are that are difficult to, to access?
1: Uh, primarily, it's over on the northeast um, corner of the fire, um, including Haystack Mountain, like we talked about. So, okay. you know, there's just a couple of drainages over there on that northeast corner that, you know, it's basically just a giant rock slide is what it is. So, you know, luckily with these weather conditions in place, um, we're, we're kind of hoping that those um, few spots dwindle as time goes on, and we're able to let some of our resources go and deal with other fires as they start.
0: Um, speaking of other fires as they start, do you know anything about the Castle Valley fire that's happened yesterday? Yes, yeah,
1: so I don't know a lot about it. It sounds like it was contained to just a couple of acres, so that's good. Um, we did launch aircraft, and we had a couple of crews from the Pack Creek fire that responded to that incident as well, so As soon as the report came in, um, we had our contingencies in place to deal with that situation. We did so fairly quickly, and it sounds like it was a fairly successful outcome considering um, the nature of the incident. It didn't amount to a huge geographical location, luckily.
0: Now, finally, you know, I I do still want to mention, you know, Listeners probably are aware that the LaSalle Loop Road is open, but it's really just, you know, an opening for through traffic, for people to access their private property. Um, There's still a forest closure for recreation on public lands. Anything to mention about those closures um, that remain?
1: Yeah, so the the closures on public land are still in effect. Um, The intent behind opening up the LaSalle Pass Road was basically so individuals could access the private property um from both directions not only castle valley but from this side of the mountain as well so that is the intent um with that being said the forest service is looking at easing um some of their public land restric- restrictions i don't know specifically what that looks like um, we're still a couple of days out from being able to know what those details are but i i do know that those are under re- review right now but before the time being, the public land is still um, closed due to safety concerns and fire traffic.
0: And also, um, as you transition out, you know, it's still worth mentioning that investigators are still le- seeking leads to help identify anybody responsible for the fire's ignition. Anything else to, to mention there?
1: Yeah, so there, there is an interagency task force. Um, they are still running down leads. But so, um, at the same time, they're still welcoming new information that might help them be a little more um efficient so the investigation is definitely not over but it's um you know still being investigated so yeah if anybody has any information that could lead to a quicker identification of the responsible party or parties um, that would be fantastic if they would call the tip line and provide the information to the investigators.
0: Thank you, Nick. Anything else to mention about uh, the Pack Creek Fire um, or the Great Basin team that has been here for pretty much the past two weeks?
1: Well, um, Team 4, we'd definitely like to thank everybody in the community, all the, all the residents and all the businesses, for just the amazing support that we have had throughout our tenure here in Moab. It's been amazing, the support, the emails, all the kind words, um, you know people that we've interacted with face to face at the uh, at the arena it's really been um an amazing thing to witness and be a part of so thank you so much and we definitely appreciate the you know the support from the community that we've seen
0: Fire Information Officer Nick Howell. The Great Basin team will be moving on to other fires in our region. The Manti-LaSalle National Forest takes over leadership on the Pack Creek Fire tomorrow. We'll have updates from them occasionally during the newscast and more frequently at kzmu.org slash Pack Creek Fire Updates. When we think of climate change, we often imagine wildfires hurricanes, and other large-scale disruptions to our planet. But it's plants that are often on the front lines. A botanist in Jackson, Wyoming, is working to understand how climate change is affecting wildflowers and, consequently, the birds, butterflies, and bears that rely on them for food. KHOL's Emily Cohen has the story.
2: Noting the Latin names of various wildflowers comes second nature for Trevor Bloom.
3: We're in the Blacktail Sage site. You know, persia tridentata, or that antelope bitterbrush, is in peak flower. We've got the hooded phlox, um, and the longleaf phlox are also flowering. Many of the potentillas are flowering. We've got a white potentilla and a yellow potentilla. Uh,
2: Kay met Bloom at the Blacktail Butte Trailhead, where he's been working with local volunteers, teaching how to take scientific observations of plants. That is, making note of when they leaf out, bloom, and bear fruit.
3: Yeah, I walk really slow. I think botanists walk slower than birders, even. (laughs) We stop and look at everything along the way and notice what's going on with the buds and the flowers. You know, if you come across a species you don't know, take a guidebook out and try to identify it.
2: Drawing on the field notes that the legendary biologist Frank Craig had made on this same trail in the 1970s and 80s, Bloom and his volunteers are comparing the life cycle events of the same species in the same locations today.
3: Round trip is just under two miles, it's like 1.75 miles, and it's flat. It's before you go up in elevation at all, so it's accessible to all ages and most body types. So we've had people from four years old to 89 years old complete the trail.
2: Once collected, Bloom uses the citizen scientists data to better understand how plants are responding to climate change and also to inform when to collect seeds that will be used in restoration projects throughout the region.
3: The onset of flowering for spring wildflowers is on average 17 days earlier now than it was in the 1970s. And that is directly correlated with spring temperatures in March, April, and May having increased and earlier snowmelt timing. The timing of snowmelt in the valley has advanced by about 21 days since the 1970s.
2: And when plants flower earlier or at different times than they did historically, the impact on the wildlife that depend on them can be profound.
3: A classic example is the broad-tailed hummingbird. It's down in Central America and then it makes its migration to the Greater Yellowstone ecosystem when the day length gets longer. But the plants that they depend on, things like scarlet gilia and other wildflowers are flowering earlier. And what's been found, birds are arriving at the same time and the flowers have already flowered earlier. Um, resulting in reduced nesting success because they're not getting the nectar that they needed, which means that these animals need to adapt to this change in climate.
2: Another example that may hit even closer to home for Jackson Hole locals concerns grizzly bears. Research shows that bear-human conflict is directly correlated with how good a berry season is, especially in late summer and early fall, when bears need to fill up before going into hibernation. When species flower earlier, they also fruit earlier, meaning that bears might have to seek alternative sources of food in the fall. And that's when the most conflict with humans happens. The Wyoming Wildflower Watch is one of dozens of citizen science projects around the country.
3: All the data that we collect here in Teton County goes into an app called Nature's Notebook. And Nature's Notebook then gets uploaded to a cloud database that's managed by the USA National Phenological Network. And there are these phenology hikes all over the country, but we're really the only ones centered in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem.
2: Whether it's curiosity about wildflowers or concern about climate change, there are all sorts of reasons volunteers have signed up as citizen scientists with the Wildflower Watch. KHOL met Noah Osnos at the first hike of the season on a windy day in June. He says that for him, citizen science is a way to slow down a bit and smell the proverbial flowers. Most of us
1: just walk around looking at the pavement or going to a restaurant or something like that, and you come out here, and what is happening on the ground? So that's really why we came out, was really to sort of just get a better idea of what's actually physically happening on the ground.
2: Even while we're living our busy lives, Osno says there's plenty going on in nature that we should be paying attention to.
0: I'm Emily Cohen for listener-supported KHOL Jackson. That story comes from our partners at KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. And that's the KZMU News for Thursday, June 24th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.